Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, June 12th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So what's the latest news? I know, I know we got a couple of big kind of news, general news items to discuss, but what's going on with applications at this point? Yeah, I mean, things are slowing down, no doubt, for, 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 for the cycle that we are closing out. Um, saw a lot less activity on Livewire this week in terms of waitlist decisions. We saw a little bit of activity, but less, I would say, than we've seen in the last several weeks. Um, and um, we're still getting a few decisions um, getting released, but more so now, obviously for the final rounds, but also the deferred admissions rounds that um, several of the top schools are running. Yeah. And for, for next week, Booth is actually releasing their um, um, deferred admissions. It's for their scholars scholars program. That's right. Yeah, and, and I know. Yeah, we've been seeing some invites and things. So it's yeah, that that yeah. part of the season still on us here. I, this is always an interesting time of year too, because not only are we pivoting into the new season, but um, you know, June's a, the the time when uh, the main kind of organization of business schools, GMAC, has their annual conference. So there's there's a lot that sort of happens as we kind of flip the calendar fully to the next season and, and clear admit's going to be we're going to have a presence at that uh, conference it's out in san diego this year so that'll be fun um are you going yeah i'm going yeah it's at the end oh, of, wow. at the end of june <laughs> um i'm going with mike from our team and we'll have like a booth and i'm actually giving a presentation or running a, a panel about should career services be involved in the admissions process at these schools um pros and cons so yeah we'll see <laughs> very good i I have very fond memories of San Diego GMAT conferences. Oh, well, I've never been to one in San Diego, so this will be my first. Yeah, cool. Very fond memories. Uh, very good. So other than that, we do have an event before then on June 20th at noon Eastern. It's a Real Humans uh, students and alumni event that we're running. More details are forthcoming, but if you go to bit.ly forward slash Real Humans MBA, you can um, read about it, sign up, et cetera. So that should be fun. Again, the idea is to connect prospective candidates with uh, a handful of kind of current students and alums from top MBA programs to sort of ask questions in a format that's not, you know, not as formal in terms of like, you know, these aren't admissions officers, they're just students and grads of these schools. So stay tuned for more on that. And then we also in July, as I've been saying the last couple of weeks, we've got our essay insight series where we sit down with admissions directors at top schools and talk about their essay questions and how one should go about answering those questions. And you can sign up for those now. That's all up and online finally. And the URL for that is just bit.ly forward slash C-A-M-B-A essay. Um, so you can sign up for that. And I, I think I mentioned last week, Alex, we've got, I know we have Wharton Booth, Talk, Berkeley, Columbia, Duke, Yale, gosh, I'm going to, uh, NC at LBS, Michigan, Cornell, Georgetown, and there are a couple more. Uh, oh, Carnegie Mellon and UNC. And I think there's still some other schools coming on that, um, we're still kind of organizing because it's not until July, but that, that's all underway. Did you mention Harvard? No, but I, I think we're actually, I'm not sure if they're doing this one or not, but I think they might be. And I, I know um, Mike's been talking to them and a couple of other um, top schools that may come on board too. So yeah, we'll see. Very yeah. good. Uh, the other thing is we've had, there've been a couple of news items in our space. We ran um, articles on our site. The, the first was um, the Forte Foundation, which sort of promotes management education and career development for women, uh, is uh, an organization that you know does a lot of research on kind of women in business and they they ran a, a, a they published a big report and we interviewed their CEO to talk about it and it was sort of about the pay gap for women versus men 
And there was some very interesting data. It's up on our website, but you know, just shows that for underrepresented uh, minority women, the pay gap is quite severe. Still, you know, there's still a big gap between you know their male counterparts. And um, what was also interesting though was that for underrepresented minority males versus white males, that gap is not um, not there. You know, so it's it's really women underrepresented and then women in general who are kind of suffering on this. So you can read about it, but it's you know, and and what what drives that pay gap? You know, I don't I don't know. I mean, discrimination. Uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, I think it's um, I guess on some levels, you know, we often do whenever you talk about this stuff, the subject of like raising families and and the burden of kind of obviously bearing children, but then caring for children. Um, is not equally shared by the two <laughs> sexes. Right. So I think that plays a role in this, but it is, you know, it's something that Forte tracks kind of year in and year out. And I mean, the good news is, is that for women, the way that they do the data is they show women who uh, are kind of pre-MBA, what was their salary and post, and there's still a huge bump. So by going to business school, you're definitely helping to, you know, kind of bump your salary in a big way if you're a woman. Um, but it's still not the same. Um, there's still a gap, you know, right. when you look at the male uh, folks who graduated from business school. So, so, the, so the gap exists pre MBA and post MBA. Yeah, exactly. But the the, um, the 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 boost they get from the MBA is that at par with with males. I don't want to speak out of turn, but I have it here somewhere because I, I, I think that they actually get a bigger boost from the degree, but it's still, you know, but they're behind to begin with. So I feel like, yeah. let's see, it, it's, I have it here actually. So, um, yeah. So in terms of like that first job after business school, um, non underrepresented minority women, which I presume to mean white women are getting a 68% increase in salary. Um, yeah. and, and whereas men who are non-upper, you know, white men get a 62% increase, um, post, you know, yeah. for that first job out of business school versus their pre-business school job. So, yeah, so just interesting, um, to see what, so there's definitely a bump. It's worth going to business school, but it's just, there's still an issue with women versus men and particularly with underrepresented folks. Very good. Well, uh, not very good, but yeah, yeah good no, yeah, analysis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other big thing that happened is, so we know that GMAC announced a new, GMAT exam, a new version of the GMAT exam. They're calling it the GMAT Focus Edition. It's shorter, uh, streamlined, much more user-friendly, and it's going to be available late this year. I think people can start signing up for it in a few months or something. And so that was kind of an interesting and big news item a few weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, I guess, at this point. Um, but then in the last few days, ETS, who makes the GRE exam, came out with their own announcement saying that they too um, are kind of changing the GRE and that it will be shorter. I think it's now going to be shorter than the GMAT exam. So originally, you know, GMAT, GMAT announced that their test was going to be short and, and it ended up being shorter than the current GRE. Well, now GRE's kind of one-upped them and gone and said, well, ours is going to be even shorter. <laughs> um, so that's coming. And I guess the difference is, is that you can sign up for the new GRE, I think, already. Um, and it's going to be on offer fairly quickly, if I understand correctly. So they're second to announce, but they're going to be first to market with kind of a shorter streamlined exam. What do you make of this, Alex? Because this is something that I'm, you know, th thinking a lot about in terms of what it means for testing and yeah, where we're going with all this. I mean, it looks like GMAC and and um, ETS or or whatever, they're both, you know, being driven by trying trying to attract more of that test taker volume. Um, yeah. So make the test shorter, 
infers that it's easier to prep for and to participate or whatever it might be. Yeah. School, schools love it because it reduces the barrier, one of the big barriers for people applying to business school. Whether they say that or not, that's got to be a fact, right? Um, yeah. But on the margin, that potentially could increase app volumes if the tests are a little bit more accessible. Sure. Um, shorter tests are going to be more accessible. So business schools love it and let GMAT and GRE duke it out and see what happens. Obviously, GMAT's, GMAC has lost a huge chunk of market share over the last several years. So this is a, yeah. um, a, a real important issue for GMAC. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I will say a senior executive at ETS slash GMAC, I'm not going to say which, <laughs> which entity, and this is like maybe eight years ago, this person said to me, oh, I'm not worried about our competitor exams because I was asking them about the other tests, you know, and uh, they said, what I'm worried about is no test. And I think that's come a little bit to fruition, although, yeah. you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's a very interesting time. I'm, I'm kind of waiting for, you know, GMAC to announce that you'll get a massage while you're taking the test yeah. and, and then ETS will counter by giving out candy or something to all test takers. I mean, it, it's getting a little silly for me, at least on some levels, but I mean, I get that these exams were probably too long um, to begin with, like three plus hours or whatever. Um, so to take them down to the sort of two hour and change mark is understandable. Um, but yeah, we'll see, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, but rigor is important. I mean, I know. these tests still need to establish that a candidate is, is, is going to hit the ground running in, in, in these MBA programs. Yeah. So testing is important. I agree. Rigor in testing is important. So there would be a point where you they could go too far, I think. Yeah, agreed. And then the other big news item, I know we have a, we still have some other, <laughs> other stuff to cover, uh, but the other big thing is that Columbia Business School announced their deadlines um, for you know the coming season for their August start date, which is their kind of traditional, because um, they do have a, a January term program. But this is for the regular kind of start in the fall um, and, and you know two-year full-time MBA. And they announced their deadlines. They have round one, round two, and round three. Um, which struck everyone on our team when we saw it, because typically they have an early decision round and then kind of rolling admissions. And so I wrote an email to Jordan Blitzer, who's their director of admissions, and she promptly wrote back and said, yeah, we've, we've done away with early decision. Um, and she said, this will kind of align us more with our peers. And, you know, she said, let me know if you have any other questions. But so what do you make of this, Alex? This is big news. Yeah, I mean, when I worked at the Wharton School, which was basically 90... 9 to 2005, 98 to 2005 or something, one of the things that really struck me in, in not a positive way was Columbia's early decision process. I just, because it was so different to its peer schools and Wharton would be considered a peer school, um, I just thought it was unfair, very unfair for the students. Um, and because it was unfair, um, some students would choose to game the system and quite frankly, as an, as an admissions consultant, I would encourage folks to game the system because the system's unfair anyway. Um, now, that all being said, there are several programs now with early decisions, um, you know, Darden, Duke or whatever, and I could reel off probably five or six others, but they're sort of all competing with the same pool of students, which I think mm -hmm. then um, it, it can work. But the fact that Columbia was the outlier amongst M7 um, and clearly there were advantages applying early decision versus applying their regular rounds. They were very open and upfront about that. Um, it created a very 
funky dynamic in the admissions marketplace, I think. So get rid of it. Fantastic. Let Columbia compete directly with its peers like Harvard, like Wharton, like, um, you know, Kellogg and, and, and Booth and, and Sloan and so on and so forth. And yeah, it, Columbia is a fantastic program. It, that early decision stuff was definitely, um, a, in my mind, it was a, 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 a bad thing for the marketplace. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, like you said, it created very strange like market dynamics with people kind of gaming the system or or feeling like, wow, I have to apply early to Columbia if yeah. I'm going to have a chance. And and you know, I think to some extent, I, I saw more than one applicant who I felt was kind of limiting themselves. And that's yeah. not to say that those candidates shouldn't have gone to Columbia, but I was sort of like, wow, you might as well apply to a few schools. And it, you know, some candidates were like, yeah, that's fine. I'm just going to game the system. But other candidates would say, no, the rules are this, and I'm I'm just applying to Columbia because that's really the intent of their early decision. And and then they'd get in, and then the momentum would be such that you know, big deposit, et cetera, that they wouldn't look elsewhere. So I think it's great that they've kind of done away with this and are now aligned with the rest to the M7 uh, makes a lot of sense. So yeah. um, we'll see how it goes. No, it does. We're going to we're gonna have to rework all our advice for folks <laughs> applying to Columbia because it was <laughs> apply early decision or just don't apply. <laughs> yes, although now they, they, they have said in the, um, I, I, th I think Jordan said this somewhere, that, that there was, uh, you know, that if you're really interested in Columbia, apply early, like apply in the first round. You know, don't wait until yeah. round two or three. So that still holds a bit. But Which, which, is, which is pretty similar advice yeah. that we would give to other um, candidates, but probably put a little bit of an asterisk, a, a bit of a curly asterisk or whatever by Columbia because they're moving away from mm -hmm. early decision. They still have that really strong focus on early candidates, which will be their round one. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. I, anyway, whoever made the decision at Columbia, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I agree. And, um, let, let's see how it all plays out. It's great, yeah. All right, so we'll see how that plays out. Uh, two other quick things. On the website, we did an admissions tip about pre-application coursework. This is, you know, if you're thinking that you might need to do some coursework to either get ready for business school or to demonstrate your ability or to maybe repair a poor transcript um, or low GPA, uh, we have an admissions tip on the site about that. Um, there's also a follow-on piece that I think we're going to publish soon that compares, um, you know, the, all the various things that are out there in terms of like what courses you could take, what they cost, which ones are best, et cetera. So stay tuned for that. But for now, there's a very good piece up just about why you might want to consider doing some outside coursework as you prepare to apply to business school. Uh, and then the last thing, Alex, is we did run a couple more Real Humans alumni. So we had Olivia from Georgetown McDonough, who graduated in 22, and she spoke to us about her current role uh, at McKinsey, where she's a consultant. Really interesting background. I encourage everyone to read this. I mean, she's from China originally, a town called... Um, Shanxi, I think is how you say it. Um, and, and she was a journalist for many years in China and then moved to the U.S., got her MBA and has used the MBA to pivot into consulting out of journalism. So pretty big career pivot, but very interesting. I think if I was a journalist in China, I'd want a career pivot. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, but it sounds like, and one thing she did say is um, she really enjoyed getting to know her classmates. And she said that that was kind of like, you know, that it sounds cliche, she said, but invest your time to get to know people around you in business school. 
the relationships are such an important element. Um, and so, and I think that's true. I mean, you're just surrounded yeah. by such unique individuals. And then the other person we connected with was Danielle, who's a, an INSEAD grad from the class of 21. And she's at Amazon, currently a senior partner manager. And she's originally from Houston, Texas. And I believe that she left the MBA program and went into something called Launch MBA, which is a rotation program at Amazon. So she's probably been bouncing around doing different things. And, you know, she just said that, you know, INSEAD, her quote is, INSEAD is an incredibly intense year. It's academically, socially, and physically demanding all at once. Um, and she said, it's very similar to what, um, what Olivia said. She said, I would proactively schedule one-on-ones with as many classmates as possible. Instead of always going to like big parties or large group settings, it's really great to connect with your classmates one-on-one and learn more about them. So she was really stressing that in the, in the interview that we did with her. Um, so just, yeah, another, another interesting person to, if you're interested in NCA, you're interested in Amazon, read that article. It's a good one. Yeah, and, and just that, that notion that INSEAD is so intense. I mean, we've heard that before. I mean, when you're doing a one-year MBA versus a two-year MBA, you've got to expect that um, things get accelerated a little oh, bit yeah. and, and the intensity level will go up. And I have heard that with INSEAD, which is, I think, yeah, it's brilliant, right? You want a real intense experience sure. too, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know you picked out three candidates. I know we've had a lot of kind of preamble stuff, but there was a lot of news this week. So we'll get into the candidates next. I did want to remind people to please um, write to us at info at clearedmit.com if you have any questions or um, just want to tell us what you think of the show. You can also rate and review the show on platforms like Apple or Spotify allows for ratings. So please do so when you get a chance. Alex, I don't have anything else though. So should we move into the next segment here? Let's kick on. All right. So this is Wiretap's candidate number one. So today's first candidate um, is an applywear entry that you picked, Alex. Um, and this candidate has, let's see here, they've got um, eight schools on the target list. And those are Columbia, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, NYU, Stanford, Wharton, and Yale. And they want to start school in the fall of 24. Um, this person's been working in investment management and structured credit. Post-business school, they're interested in potentially the same type of work, but also private equity or asset management, um, including hedge, hedge funds. And they've got companies like Blackstone, Carlyle Group, KKR on the list. Their GMAT score is a 760, and their GPA is a 3.54. They're located in New York. They've been working for three years, and they'd love to land on the East Coast after business school. Um, and they mention in the notes that their pre-MBA experience is working in securitized credit at large asset management at a large asset management firm, focusing on RMBS and CMBS. And they would love to explore more opportunities in real estate investing post-MBA, um, but not limited to CMBS. <laughs> so I'm, 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 you know, kind of emphasizing these acronyms because I had no idea what they were talking about. So I looked it up, and it's. Um, I think it's, uh, I have it noted here, but basically RMBS uh, is a residential mortgage-backed security, whereas CMBS is a um, commercial uh, mortgage-backed security. So, I, you know, basically investing in, um, it's, it's all real estate-related stuff, right? So I just wanted to point that out in case people were, <laughs> were curious. But Alex, what do you make of this Canada? What are some of the things that they need to work on? And yeah, what do you make of their target schools? Are they, you know, competitive? Yeah, I'm glad you looked that stuff up, Graham. I didn't even go to Google to figure it out. It sort of bamboozled me a little bit. But it does bring up an important point, right, that we 
tend to make um, don't get you know use these acronyms certainly in your um, admissions essays and so forth make sure your content is accessible to people outside of your industry um, but yeah th this candidate um, I mean, super GMAT, obviously 760. Um, their GPA is 354, probably slightly below average, but I assume it's actually quite a good GPA. Um, their work experience is probably highly analytical, um, probably, I'm, I'm guessing they're doing well, and so forth. It's a little bit on the shorter side. Um, they'll have three years, I think, by the time of matriculation. So they need to really show that they're a superstar um, in, in the making, I think. So, you know, really strong recs and so on and so forth will help help with that, you know, showing sort of impact growth and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so, um, you know, th that that's the one thing that sort of strikes me is will their application um, um, with three years of experience be optimal or would they be a stronger candidate in a subsequent year and are they in a situation where they can continue to grow and learn um, and 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 so forth in a positive trajectory, or do they have they made a decision they need to leave um, now or not now, but next um, you know in a in a year's time to head off to business school, um, because you know it it might be that um, they'd actually have a a, a, a better um, opportunity in 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 the in the following year. Yeah. Um, but that also means. It's not um, hugely critical if they don't get admitted this season, if they can wait out another season, only target the very best programs, see where they land, and sort of take that type of um, attitude um, yeah. and, and so forth. Um, but yeah, I mean, a 760 GMAT, if you can combine that with, with good, good, work experience to date, um, I think is, is a pretty good combination. Yeah. I think, I mean, a few things jump out at me for this one. Like, so like you say, great GMAT score, the GPA is fine. It's a little below average, maybe at the very top schools, but I, I did, I mean, I'd love to know like where they went and what they studied. Yeah. That would be good context to have. Cause if they went to like an Ivy league school and studied, you know, economics or something and, you know, were highly ranked in their class or, or something, maybe it's fine. Um, but I, I guess the other thing I think about is, like you say, just three years of experience could be on the lighter side, although I definitely think they should, you know, give it a shot and, yes. and go for it. Uh, and yeah, lose the jargon. That's going to not be an appealing aspect to their candidacy if they, because one of the things you worry about when you see a candidate who's all, you know, all their work has been in finance, as you say, very quantitatively oriented work. They want to stay in that domain. And so the first thing that, you know, as an admissions reader, you're going to be wondering is, is this one of those good with numbers, not with people type candidates? <laughs> and so, so they'll, they'll need to kind of demonstrate an ability um, to, you know, to speak in terms that everyone understands about, and to sort of explain their work. Um, and, and hopefully the recommendations will support, you know, that this person's a good team player, that they have those kind of softer skills too. And then they did mention their ECs are largely undergrad focused. Yeah. Um, it sounds like they haven't had a ton of stuff since. And that, that could be okay. I mean, some of these finance jobs are really grueling, but I guess it would just depend on what they have. Cause you know, it's not like they have, um, you know, the, the, they have some pretty high, highly ranked schools on their list. And, you know, 
we always talk about this and you can, you know, it's in the videos we've made and the book you wrote, Alex, but you know, there, there are these different pillars of a candidacy. And I think people often think about academics, they think about work experience, but there's that third pillar, which is, you know, what are you doing with your spare time? What makes you interesting? What are you involved in, passionate about, et cetera? So um, hopefully there's stuff that they can work with in that bucket because we didn't get much information on that. Yeah, no, I think that's a very fair point. Um, and, and, and again, I, I, I think the key with this candidate is going to be when is the ideal time to apply to maximise their opportunity? Is it truly next season or would another season um, under their belt further strengthen their profile? Um, either way, apply next season anyway, yeah. but go in with the idea that you're only focusing on the very best schools and coming back the following season um, with a little bit more rounded ap- application or profile or whatever it might be. Yeah. All right. So I want to wish them the best of luck. Um, I think, you know, they can, as we say, go for it this year, see what they can get. And um, and if it doesn't work out, hopefully they can stay at their job and, and get another year of experience and try again. So, um, but yeah, it should be a good candidacy. We'll see. I mean, there's some question marks, but they'll, they know the answers to these question marks about where they went to school and what kind of outside activities they had as an undergrad and stuff. So um, they can fill in those blanks. Um, Alex, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this candidate has a whopping 10 schools on the target list, and it's a candidate that you picked from an ApplyWire entry you received. And so they've got Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Emory, Georgia Tech, Washington Foster, UCLA Anderson, UNC, USC Marshall, uh, UT Austin, and then Washington University, Olin. So that's a handful of schools with a range of kind of um, admissions difficulty. They want to start school in the fall of 24. This person's been working in data science uh, and they want to get into technology post-MBA. They've got companies like Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, Tesla, Twitter, and Uber on their target list. Their GMAT score is a 710 and their GPA is a 2.4. They've got seven years of work experience and they're located in India, which makes me wonder if that GPA has been converted from you know another scale entirely. So that would be good to know. Uh, they want to land in the U.S. after business school, and then they did give us some additional notes. Um, they currently work for American Express. Um, they've been there for two and a half years now. They did also, um, they've worked at a handful of other companies. I'm counting, uh, looks like one, two, three, four other companies, so prior. So they have seven years of experience, and so last couple of years at American Express, but then they spent the first four plus years at, at four different companies. Uh, and then they, they were kind of curious about their GMAT score, what we thought of that. They mentioned 710 is what they have now. They're wondering what we felt about that. So yeah, Alex, what do you make of this? Because this person has a wide range of schools on their list. Numbers are kind of lacking, um, particularly for an Indian candidate, which is an overrepresented part of the application pool. But what do you make of them? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, potentially a very strong candidate. Um, other than that their, G, their GPA is a real sort of red flag, um, which, which is, you know, a, a, a real shame for them. Um, they, they obviously had significant health issues during their undergrad, so they're going to have to explain that, use that in their optional essay, um, or, 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 or tackle that in their optional essay, I should say. Um, and so forth. And this 710 on the GMAT, if they think that they can improve that, um, even just 20 points, 30 points, 
um, that's going to have an impact again because this um, GPA is so low. Um, so really um, uh, make sure that they're applying with the very best um, GMAT score that they can. Um, and then a lot of it will be down to the quality of all this work experience that they've had. Um, they have um, take, you know, taken on several roles, different, different um, jobs, uh, different firms, and so on and so forth. So they're going to have to do a good job of explaining the whys behind their transitions, their moves, their growth, their impact um, all along the way. Um, you know, I love data scientists that want to be MBAs because I think, you know, an MBA that really understands numbers is, is a very sort of hot commodity right now. Sure. Um, so, so they could sort of be that person, um, which is, which is, which, which, which can be really positive. Um, but it's unfortunate that this, um, the, 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 the undergraduate GPA is an Achilles heel. Now, I don't think that they're being overly ambitious with their target schools. So it's not like they're applying only to M7. Um, in fact, their top schools are in that top 16 tier and then the top 20 tier yeah. um, behind that, which for one explains a little bit to your point, they're applying to or considering 10 schools. I think when you start looking at tiers a little bit lower, uh, you've got a broader range of schools to target. Um, so, so it's good that they are somewhat realistic with that. But nevertheless, those schools are still going to need a strong explanation for that um, undergraduate record um, and so forth. Yeah. Um, so, so if they can overcome that then and, and potentially get a slightly higher GMAT score and apply in round one, that's important. They're, they're based in India, so they're likely going to be considered from an overrepresented population. Um, then, then I think they're going to have options, but that the GPA is, is definitely a, a big Achilles heel. Yeah, I guess you know, similar to that first candidate we had, I would love to know, yeah, you know, like where did they go to school and what was the raw, um, you know, GPA? Because this is clearly a converted GPA, if they, unless they went to school in America, but they're in India. I assume they went to school in India. Yeah. Uh, and so, meaning, if if they were to say, oh, I went to one of the best engineering schools in India, and and you know, or best you know, kind of computer science schools in India, and studied data, you know, or, or like. And maybe their class rank was like top twenty percent. You know, there's there's no grade inflation or something, right? But they did indicate. I don't think so. At a two point four grade, you're no. being very generous <laughs> with your interpretation I know, I know. here. And they did say they had some health problems yeah. that made them not yeah. do so well in school. So and and, and yeah. frankly, let's say they did do an engineering degree. Um, to me, that doesn't cut it because yeah. again, it's a two point four. There has to be another reason why this GPA is so low. So this health concern needs to be addressed in a very authentic and, and upfront fashion. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, even if it's rocket science that they studied as an undergrad, <laughs> I'd want a really good explanation. Yeah. Okay. So I, I agree there. I guess the other thing is I, I could not agree more on this GMAT issue because it's not only that they're overrepresented, they're applying from India and, and even these schools on their list that are, you know, maybe more, some of them are more top 25 or whatever. Um, you know, they're typically probably seeing very high GMAT scores out of markets like yeah. India and, and, and maybe even depending on those markets to help them with their average GMAT scores, right. For the class. So I think, um, you know, they, this person needs to retake the test. They seem very open to that because they said, you know, 
what what number should I be targeting um, based off of my seven ten? Yeah. So, I you know if this person had a seven fifty, I would feel very differently. I'd say, wow, okay, just undergrad didn't go well, but this is a really smart person. They've you know they've had some interesting experience. They've worked at Uber. They now work at American Express. They you know seems to know what they want to do. Like I, I feel like there could be um, like you're saying, they'll have their chances at some of these schools. So, but I think they need to work on the test. That that'd be my first step for them. I'm going to ask you a question. What remedial action might they take other than retaking the GMAT? I mean, they got a 51 score on the quant in, um, in, in, the, in their current GMAT. So, I mean, MBA math, is that going to help them? Yeah, it's a tricky situation because, um, you know, that 51 is a high score, um, you know, and so you might say, oh, they don't need to do anything else. But I worry that, you know, they have this low GPA and sometimes it's just a question of like showing um, the the admissions team that you're working hard to address stuff or to show that you're kind of a great student now. And I recognize, I think right. that's like a, isn't that like a 97th percent? So it's like the best you can sort of get, I think is what they got on the quant. But I don't know. I, I'm part of me feels like taking business fundamentals or MBA math or one of those um, courses wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, because it, it certainly wouldn't <laughs> hurt them. No, right? I mean, it would show that they, they're dedicated to kind of heading off to B school. They're preparing themselves. Presumably this person has more of a tech background. And so the, the thing about, um, both business fundamentals and MBA math or HBS core is that it's not just testing your kind of math skills. It's also, you know, you're learning a bit about economics and, um, accounting and, and, you know, you know, just it's not exactly the same stuff that the GMAT is testing. So I don't know. I feel like it would not hurt. And given, given that they, you know, if they have time and can do it, I would just do it. It's not going to hurt them. I mean, I, the thing I do worry about is if they had a 51 on the GRE on the, on the GMAT math, that means that to get that 710, they probably had a fairly low, um, performance on the verbal. If they, if they bump that verbal score up a couple of points, they'd probably get a 750. Right. So, and, and that would be important to me because one of the things I always worry about when I see someone with kind of a technical background, this person's in data, you know, they've been working in probably fairly technical roles. If the, if the test is very much skewed towards the quantitative, I start to worry about the kind of soft skills, leadership skills, communication yeah. skills. And so there, there's yeah. a bit of a red flag. So I, I would want them to, yeah, work on that verbal and sometimes people say oh it's really hard to improve the verbal but i mean there are techniques and i think you know reading a lot um is one of them i mean i i just think you know we used to tell people um when clear admit used to do admissions consulting aside from telling people take a class learn all the strategies i would say to them like read the economist every week cover to cover like just by you know learning the more you read the better you get at some of these grammar things and, and the yeah. things that they're testing so in any event um yeah, they need to improve that score. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I want to thank them for their post. Hopefully this advice will point them in the right direction as they begin to prepare to apply. But let's or move. It, yeah. At least it'll get The Economist a new subscriber. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and we're not affiliated to The Economist. I just want to say that. Um, <laughs> uh, certainly not Certainly not their rankings, if they're still in the rankings. No, business, they, I, they, I forget. They, they no longer do them. Yeah, they, they were so terrible that they stopped doing the rankings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. Uh, so this is a final candidate this week is an apply wire entry that you picked, Alex, and, and they've got eight schools on the target list. The schools are Columbia, Duke, HEC, 
IE, ESA, Michigan, Kellogg, and Stanford. So a kind of mix of European and American MBA programs. They want to start in the fall of 24. They uh, have this um, current career has been in marketing. So pre, pre-MBA career in marketing. And post-MBA, they're interested still in marketing, but they really want to work specifically in the niche of streaming platforms. So whether that's, the person says, whether in the strategic marketing side of things or in product marketing. So working for a, a Netflix or whoever it might be in the streaming space. Um, I guess it could be music or, or video. Um, GMAT score 720, GPA 3.4. They've got three and a half years of work experience. This candidate is also located in India, just like our last one. Um, so two Indian candidates this week. And you know they mentioned, they're, they're kind of curious like what we think of their candidacy and like whether they're a stretch for some of these schools on their list. They do indicate that they have leadership experience, agency experience, brand experience, um, and even volunteer and teaching experiences. So they have a lot of like different, um, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, feathers in their cap, as you'd say, um, you know, in terms of things they've done. And they also specifically said they're wondering about where they land for HEC because people have told them that HEC only takes people with six years of experience. And they mention IE and ESA are more of a backup. So anyway, lots to unpack here, Alex, but I'll let you start. What do you make of this candidacy? Well, I've got three minutes, so we, <laughs> we'll unpack it quick. <laughs> All right, yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we don't often get marketing um, um, candidates. Um, but don't often get marketing candidates. We should get, what I'm saying is we should get more marketing candidates applying to yeah. top business schools, I think, mm-hmm. because obviously I'm passionate about marketing. So so, so this this was quite refreshing to see, and it seems like they do very well with with whatever marketing that they do. They're up for several awards and so on and so forth. Um, so, so it sounds like they've had impact um, in in their roles. So that's very good. Um, again, they're, they're a candidate from India, so round one's going to be important. Um, and that seven twenty three four two combination is okay. Yeah. I don't think it's outstanding. Again, when you're targeting the very best schools. Um, so the 342, is that, like you say, is that a converted um, GPA? Um, what's the class rank? Um, where, where did they sit in the class and so on and so forth? Um, 720 is going to be a little bit below the average of the very top schools that they're, they're targeting. Um, probably at par with the European schools that they're oh, targeting yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so forth. So. So um, anyway, um, I think there's there's oh they, I'm sorry they they did give me the class rank they're 14th out of 60, um, so top what's that top 25 percent something like that. They've done two years of volunteer work. I, again, we like to see that what they do outside of work to sort of help round out their profile. Um, the the big question for them is where do they want to be post MBA sort that out is it US is it Europe and then really target the business schools that are going to best get them to where they want to be there's obviously good streaming activity in Europe much like there is in the US um, I assume Spotify is still based in Europe but yes. you know, maybe it's <laughs> as far as I know but it's big enough it's probably based everywhere right but but it certainly started in northern Europe um, um, so um, yeah it, it, I, I think there's quite a lot to like here, Graham. I'm not sure about, I mean, they talk about, they think Kellogg would be a good fit in Columbia's a reach. I'm not sure how they make that distinction, given that they're both at par, um, really, in Kellogg. Kellogg is 
perceived to be more aligned with marketing. Um, I, I guess my advice to them was make sure they target Columbia early decisions so they can forget that <laughs> advice. Just make sure it's round one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so um, yeah, I think that that they're, 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 they're sort of on the cusp of that M7, top 16, and that's the sort of programs they're targeting in the US. Um, ISC is a very strong program in Europe. Many would argue it's at par with Ashe um, So, So yeah, get that sorted, Europe versus the US. Yeah, I think one thing that we're seeing in this post is some, I, I don't want to say, I, I think there's there's um, some mis conceptions of where these schools fall and their admissions difficulty on the part of this candidate, right? I, I think that, like you're saying, like for me, Columbia and Kellogg are, are going to be similar in terms of admissions difficulty. Um, I, I think that, you know, th yeah, they seem to think that Ashesay might be much harder for them to get into than ESA, which, you know, I mean, traditionally ESA has been one of the best schools in Europe alongside uh, LBS and, and INSEAD. So yeah, just a little bit of um, maybe some adjustments need to be made in terms of thinking about how hard it is to get into some of these schools. With all that said, I think that the thing that really is challenging in my mind is that they kind of are straddling two completely different strategies. Like one is, okay, am I applying to Ashase, IE, ESA, and maybe other schools in Europe because I want to land a job in Europe doing this type of work? Or is it the US? And I don't know that it makes sense to go after both at the same time. I mean, it's certainly possible, but I just was a little worried that, you know, they're going to have to come up with two different sort of storylines because you don't write essays to go to, you know, Stanford or Duke talking about wanting to work in streaming in, in Europe. I mean, that, that, that's probably not going to play right. super well. Like I think you'd have to talk about working in the U S that's the most common path. Um, similarly there, I, you know, most people don't go to European MBA programs to go get jobs in America. It happens, but it's not the most, you know, the easiest path to take. So yeah, they just need to figure that out. Um, but I do, I like the candidacy. I agree that, you know, the numbers are, they're sort of okay. Um, we don't know if this candidate is male or female. I would say if it's a female candidate, they might have a little more leeway. Um, there are arguably, you know, fewer female candidates from India than there are male candidates. Um, and just fewer female candidates in general in the applicant pool, right? So that could be that could make these numbers a little more palatable. But I do think that when you look at the likes of Kellogg, Stanford, Columbia, and you look at these numbers, they're they're all below average, and so that's going to require you know a really great application and other other factors, you know, strong racks, et cetera, to kind of push them over the top. As you earlier said, you know, I think the numbers are fine for much of the European programs on the list because the you know the the numbers are different in terms of. Um, you know, the, the admission stats for those programs, but, but yeah, so I would love for them to just pick a, like figure out where they want to be. That might make things easier. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, obviously some folks are applying to business school and they're going to apply to a couple of European, a couple of US because they haven't made that final decision yeah. yet, but at least start prioritizing yeah. whether US or Europe makes best sense because it will help with their application um, uh, their, their application process. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I, I like the quality, I think the quality of work's probably very good here because again, it's reflected by awards and so on and so forth. I like the volunteer experience and then numbers uh, are certainly within range, mm -hmm. right? I mean, so applying the first round, 
execute well and and try to have a good sense of is Europe versus US. Yeah, agreed. And the only thing I'll add is I, I think it'd be useful for this candidate when it comes to the European programs to think about where are the jobs in streaming? Like what countries are they in? Which markets, et cetera? Because I just want to make sure they're aligning there. So for example, I see no, you know, there's no schools in the UK on their list. And maybe that's because there's no streaming work in the UK. I don't know. But I hope that they've thought that part through um, as well, because that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in any event, I want to thank them for posting to the site. Uh, hopefully our advice is useful as they embark on their applications. Uh, Alex, we ran a little long today, but we had a lot to tackle, um, a lot of cool things happening in our space. So thanks for um, going beyond our time limit. And uh, we'll do it all next week if you're willing. And yeah, thanks for picking these out. <laughs> No, fantastic. If anyone's still listening, congratulations. You've probably listened to the longest show we've recorded in a long, long time. Take care. <laughs>